0: Welcome to episode number 76 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is a podcast where we're helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies, and the techniques you need to build an online business around your research experience, around your expertise, around your background, and around the change you want to make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we're talking about how to self-publish a profitable book. To do that, we have on the call Dr. Norman Eng from normaneng.org. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-E-N-G. Ang.org and his company's Education by Design. Dr. Ang, thank you for coming on the Grab Blogger podcast.
1: Chris, so glad to be here. Awesome.
0: I'm really excited to have you here. We said Norman's in, in New York and he said he lost power this morning for a little bit, but we're happy that it's back on and that we're here to shoot the show. We are ready. <laughs> so Norman's background is in education, in higher education, early childhood, and, and just in general. And he comes from a number of recommendations I had from previous podcast guests, I checked out his website at normanang.org. I saw he had quite a bit of experience in self-publishing. He had some sort of cheat sheets there that you could download. He's kind of looking into this sort of beta course and different things around how to self-publish a profitable book. This is something I've been looking into over the last, I'd say, last two years. I haven't had a chance really to fit it in. It's also something that people are interested in through the GrabLogger podcast communications we have there and the, the self-tenure community has been asked about as well. So I wanted to get Norman on the podcast to talk through that. In this episode, we'll talk through some of Norman's background, how he got started online, what his educational background is, what his experience is with self-publishing, and then get into the nitty-gritty details on how to research and plan your manuscript, tips on writing, tips on getting your, your manuscript together and, and promotion to create this profitable book. So as always, you can grab a copy of the transcripts from this podcast episode at grabblogger.com slash 76. We'll combine up, put in a nice PDF download. You can just control F. To find the thing that uh, we talked about that went by before you had a chance to write it down. So that's a really good way to do that. So Norman, maybe the best place to jump in is can you just share some of your your journey, maybe what is your, your academic background and how to get started in online business?
1: Sure, absolutely. So first off, uh, Chris, I'm so glad that you said that you're interested in perhaps kind of going this route with self-publishing. It's just become an incredibly huge thing now, um, especially among i would say a lot of professors academic scholars researchers who are really uh, kind of looking at alternative ways to get their work out there so so glad to hear that you're doing that i also same on my end, seeing a lot of um, professors that are interested in that. So, so I'm an adjunct associate professor at the City College of New York for the, CUNY, for the CUNY system, City University of New York system, teaching education. And generally speaking, I've been, you know, I got my PhD in, or EDD technically in 2012. And um, I've been working, teaching, doing research since then. And the truth is the kind of the short answer about like how I got started online is really that I was basically I was sick and tired of leaving my fate <laughs> you know my success so to speak to the quote unquote the gatekeepers in academia so i'm talking about the the journal editors the the hiring committees the the, the book editors, grant proposal committees, conference proposal committees. So all these committees, all these gatekeepers out there who are basically determining whether or not I get to write a book, whether or not I get to speak at a conference, whether or not I get that grant. And so the thing is, like, I, I did what I thought were the right things as a, as a doctoral candidate and then, of course, as, a, as an EDD. A doctorate in education. You know, I did my research, um, I wrote articles, I, I wrote chapters, I contributed to a textbook. And this was kind of that early 2010s, right? 2010 to 2015 you know, or so. And I knew that getting a full time, tenure track job was going to be hard, right? Because, first of all, I'm in New York City. You know, I worked, I told you, I, I, I worked as an adjunct. And even though I love teaching students, I also knew that there were a lot more PhDs than there were full-time tenure job openings. And so I was like, I need to stop toiling in academia. And, And I can't find a better word than that, toiling in academia. A lot of the work was gratifying, no question about that. I love what I do, I love the teaching process, I love the research about education. But in many ways, I felt I was toiling in academia, leaving my fate to what I had said before, kind of the hands of other people, waiting to be to be chosen, so to speak. And instead, instead of you know choosing myself, which is a great line that I like to borrow from entrepreneur James Altucher, right? He talks about that mindset of choosing yourself. It completely changed the way I thought about my career right from being a a passive you know kind of um, doing all my hard work but I'm doing it passively waiting to be chosen and kind of leaving my fate in the hands of others to taking control of my professional direction right and so you know that's when I started thinking Norman you have so much experience in marketing right which is where my original background was from I worked in advertising for about five six years or so before changing careers into education um, and so my backgrounds in marketing and education and so much of online market demand now is about selling your expertise right we're all going online because of the pandemic and um, selling your expertise is really kind of where where it's at in terms of market demand and I realized that the opportunity right now lies at this intersection of intersection of disciplines, right? In my case, marketing and education. And in other people's cases, it depends, but kind of that's where innovation lies. That's kind of where the thinking kind of taking you to the next level lies in between intersections.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I think you just re- rewrote some of the sales copy for the self-tenure community <laughs> with your with your discussion of the, the, the toiling in academia, the uh, take control of your own fate, choose yourself. Yeah, you might see some new sales copy coming up in the the self tenure community's pages. There, <laughs> that was really good.
1: <laughs> no, it's but it's so true. It's we're uh, it, we're all trying to. Um, it, I can't emphasize enough about how how this idea of in academia we work so hard. You know, whether it's writing our thesis, our dissertation, doing research papers, presenting our research paper, and all of this is. Of course, you know, to because we want to do those things, we want to better the world, all that good stuff, but the reality of course, is is that how much do we get recognized for those things, and we do some of us we absolutely do recognize we kind of build our resumes step by step by step
0: the chosen ones
1: right, right, but at the same time it, it's a it's a it's a process it's a process that in this day and age, you could be adjuncting while doing this, or you could be doing a postdoc for years before actually getting this tenure track job. And so what what ends up happening is that we have a large portion of our faculty who are contingent, who are adjunct, who are one-year appointments, who are visiting professors, basically who aren't, they might be full-time, but they're not tenure track jobs. And that's, you know, and I was basically determined not to follow that once I realized this idea of choose yourself, you know, I was determined not to follow this conventional path. And so, you know, we're, we're actually fortunate in this day and age, obviously to, you know, we live in a time when not accepting the status quo is an easier decision than ever to make. Right. And so there is this, there was this part of me that wanted to prove to myself that the traditional route, the traditional academic route, right? You know, the get your PhD, do your research, get the tenure is not the only way. And that's of course what your whole blog is about. And, and as well as your podcast. And in fact, honestly, it is a losing proposition for a majority of us, right? How many, what, I don't even know the numbers, maybe Chris, you might know, but like what percentage of, of academics or or professors are, you know, are not, you know, are are not tenured or, or, or don't or, or, or adjuncts or, or, you know, are thinking about kind of moving outside of academia, I'm sure it's a good portion of them, if not 50%, maybe less than that. But it's definitely, certainly when a majority of when, a, what was it, I think the numbers that I heard was something like 70% of, of faculty members or instructors in general are adjuncts um and so certainly contingent faculty and so there's a large portion of them like i have to do something with my advanced degree and that's basically like that's how why i was compelled to go online that was basically the start of my my self-publishing journey
0: oh i love it so i mean i i resonate with a lot of that obviously i the, the listeners of the podcast will know that i defended my my thesis on a tuesday my company was incorporated on a, on a wednesday oh, and then okay. i was in chicago launching my company the following following monday doing thesis edits on the plane <laughs> to get my thesis accepted. Um, so I took it, I took a different route as well. Um, and, and growing online business since, since 2016, when we got started here um, and now a couple of businesses has really, you know, allowed a lot of that freedom that you're talking about. Um, I want to, I want to jump into your story a bit on some of the early days. So you have a, you had a marketing and advertising background. Yeah. Um, you moved into education. You did some work there. Came this realization that the the tenure track dream—you need to be chosen and selected—and through all these different kind of processes, you, you wanted something different for yourself. You know, what were some of those first steps then to to getting online, and maybe even before we get into the self—maybe the self-publishing is the first step. But what what were some of the first things you did to to get started online?
1: Right. I mean, I can go into definitely the, the details of the self-publishing part. We'll, we'll go into that in a little bit. But I would say during the doctoral process, right, uh, probably back in maybe 2008, 2009 or so, uh, this was while I was taking the courses and starting to do the research for my work. You know, I started a blog and, and basically the blog was just a repository of, of information. So whatever it is I was interested in or stuff related to my, to my research, I would just kind of drop it in there. And again, it wasn't to try to attract an audience. It was just, it was just a repository for ideas. And that's exactly what ended up happening is that it reached nobody. I didn't, you know, back in 2009, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, you just thought, let's start a blog. Okay, sure. But Uh, The upside for that is that it did kind of plant that seed in my mind about doing something or trying to reach a larger audience, a kind of a mass public audience, as opposed to kind of what we've been trained to think, which is reaching that, reaching your peers, right? Whether it's, you know, writing a grant proposal or writing um, a manuscript uh, for a journal or whatever that is, we're trying to reach our peers, Um, And everything, you know, peer review and all that kind of stuff, we're writing for the scholarly community. And so the blog kind of opened my eyes to to how can we get our work to the larger public? And there was a part of me at the same time that was like, I, I, I like kind of doing the research, but at the same time, it was very limiting Again, this idea of, of waiting for others to choose you. But at the same time, I'm also thinking like, am I just reaching? Like, am I making a difference? And when I was blogging and then, you know, of course, I got comments here and there on, on the blog post, not much at all. I'm talking about like 10 people. But at the same time, getting that feedback from the outside public uh, was a wonderful thing and it again it it really kind of set the, set my perspective on how can i how can i reach the larger public how can i make a bigger impact and i think as i was doing those blogs 2009 10 11 Kind of 2013, 14 or so, because at that time I was also writing a textbook, um, or at least I was helping to, you know, with my mentor writing this textbook, um, where of course the audience is very built in, very, um, um, you know, it's for an academic community, it's for the students, and stuff like that. Um, I had already started thinking about how can I impact that larger audience. And at the same time, you know, I was adjuncting, right? And I still am. I'm, a, I'm still adjuncting. But, you know, I was also thinking about what am I, what am I doing here? Am I, am I waiting for that mythical tenure track position, which was not happening in the CUNY system, or at least certainly in my department in, in, my, in education, not finding that stuff? So all of those things just kind of came together to, to, to push me to think about how can I not just continue toiling away? How can I leverage all this knowledge that I had about marketing and education into something where I could impact a larger audience beyond the scholarly community? And that's really where this, that's when I hit upon self-publishing. That's really it. That's the early start of it.
0: Yeah, I love it. so maybe let's jump into some of that. Can you share, because I did read through your background. I, I downloaded the, uh, the Seven Steps to Self-Publishing a Profitable Book in Six Months um, guide from your website. I um, read through that, and you you talk a bit about your background there, but maybe for the audience that's listening here, what what have you done in the, the world of self-publishing? What kind of experience do you have there so far?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so first off, self-publishing, and I guess for that matter, just the idea of going entrepreneurial, it 's not for everyone, right? you know that I know that, and chances are that the you know our, the listeners here are probably leaning toward the entrepreneurial route, but it it I think it needs to be said because I think striking out on your own, you have to feel somewhat comfortable with the unknown as well as being comfortable. I would say marketing yourself, and like I said, because I come from that background it's it's very acutely clear to me that when I talk with a lot of professors, that there isn't this maybe expectation or realization that marketing plays a huge role because you're constantly trying to, especially if you're striking out on your own, you're trying to find new leads or new customers. And there's a, there's a guy, his name is Daniel Pink, who's the author of To Sell is Human. And he kind of put it best. And he, he said that everyone's a seller in this day and age, but there are many in, in, in academia and the wider world who just aren't comfortable, quote unquote, selling themselves or marketing themselves, and it's not this sleazy way that that a lot of people might think it is. There's, you know, marketing truly is is an important skill when it comes to business. And I guess my point is that with self publishing, you're you're not being told what to do as much as you are with traditional publishers. Right there's there's less structure, and so with self publishing, you know, you decide your title right? As opposed, you know, you, those of you who've published with, with, with publishers, yes, of course you have a say in it, but the bottom line is that they will decide what your title is. They'll decide what your um, book cover looks like. There's very little control. When I was you know when I was doing the textbook, I had zero input into the book cover um, you get in with self publishing you get to decide right not just your book cover, not just your title, but your price, how much you want to charge right We know that that our students they don't want to be paying you know. $60, $70, $80, $100 for a textbook, but you get to decide your price and you can always change your price depending on what you do. Um, and of course, you can control your content. That's something else that a lot of academics aren't necessarily aware of is that so much of your stuff, your content, um, is you, you get to control of self-publishing. And with traditional publishers, that's just not the case. Oftentimes, I've had people who asked, uh, Norman, could I use um, a certain excerpt from your book? You know. Uh, and mention it in my book. And I'm like, go ask my publisher. Right? So (laughs) there's this idea that you there isn't that much control. And then forget about like, if I want to take it international, can't do that. With um, with uh, traditionally published books, you have to get permission, you have to go through the everything you have to go through the publisher. With self publishing, you get to decide content, cover price, distribution channels, everything. And so basically, I'm saying that if you're disillusioned with this with the control that big publishers have with the whole process, then maybe self-publishing is for you. But at the same time, it is tremendously hard work because you're doing everything. And, you know, so I, that that's when it, that's, you know, but once I realized that publishers don't actually help you all that much with marketing, which is by the way, something that academics are surprised to hear about, then I was like, forget this, right? I might as well do everything, everything myself, especially with a background in marketing, not that I knew what it meant to mark, um, to market my book, um, in terms of, because I didn't come from that book background, right? My, my advertising, my marketing was, was, was in um, consumer products, retail, things of that nature. Um, But the idea, of course, is, is, is transferable. And, you know, because in traditional publishing, what they do is that, in terms of marketing at least they'll they'll list your book in their website they'll 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 list your book in their mailings they'll probably depending on what you've negotiated they'll probably get you a booth at some conference to to, to sell your books um, or they'll of course they'll tweet your books out on social media. but like beyond those kinds of things, like publishers don't really market your book in any long term meaningful way right and let's let's be honest like like who can blame them? They, they have their own priorities, right? They, you know, unless you're, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell or or, or Adam Grant or Michelle Obama, you know, or some other big name, right? Because think about it, that's, right? That's where they earn their money. Not from you and me and stuff like that, We're like the average person.
0: So I, I'm sold. We need to take control of our own destiny on these things. I see on your site, a couple of books here. I see Teaching College, the Ultimate Guide to Lecturing, Presenting, and Engaging Students. Um, I see Presenting: The Professor's Guide to Powerful Communication. Are those the two main books you've done self-publishing with? And are there any ones that I'm missing?
1: Yeah, there's actually a third book which I did almost zero marketing with, which is uh, called uh, uh, Create an Engaging Syllabus. And um, and so that was a like that was a book that was like a that's like a fifty pager quick ebook that I put out there because I saw kind of a need for that. And I had professors who asked about, you know, how to write a syllabus and I kind of threw that in there. And so that was also a self-published book. I don't promote it as much. It's just because I I oftentimes use that as a lead magnet for, as a free lead magnet for my other books. Um, and I'll kind of explain like what I mean by that. But generally speaking, oftentimes when you have a series of books, you can take either your shortest book or whatever that is, turn that into a free book as a, to generate leads for your other books. So in other words, like I used, to, and I don't do this right now, right now. I, I, it's like, it's like 99 cents for the, for that ebook, for the, for the, the syllabus book. But what I used to do was that I would, I would make that book free. <laughs> and, um, and there are ways to do that on Amazon, on Barnes and Nobles and other book selling platforms. And then you would um, at the end of the book, that's when you say that, Hey, if this was something that you're interested in there, are I have other books as well. So it's a great, you know, what we call lead magnet for your other books or your other services. And um, so, yeah, so I actually don't advertise that particular book, um, but those are uh, pretty much the two, uh, the other, the other two um, teaching college, as well as presenting are the two books that I really actually promoted and marketed.
0: That makes sense. So I looking at your cheat sheet there. You had these seven steps to self-publishing a profitable book in six months. Um you have these books that you've created and, and used in actually a variety of of ways which is interesting you know some of them are sold just as individual books some you give i think one of them you you give a chapter away on your site some you're using the whole book as a a a lead magnet to bring people into your world and into your books and maybe even to your other products online Um, i'm like kind of winding back from that and if you feel comfortable giving this away you know what are these kind of seven steps that we're talking about somebody's interested in just getting their book together today before we do some of the advanced kind of topics how do they go about even starting that
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll kind of maybe just kind of give a brief kind of rundown of what the seven steps are. And then if people are interested, they can always download that. I'm sure we could probably put a link in the show notes or whatever. But yeah, some of the stuff that you had talked about, like giving away the free book and stuff like that, those are definitely kind of the marketing tactics that that I can talk a little bit about. I definitely go into that in in, in, in my coaching program, which we can also talk a little bit about later on. But but essentially, so so first off, um, my before I talk about the seven steps, my background relates more to writing nonfiction books as opposed to fiction books, um, which of course makes sense given that I do a lot of research and I'm in academia and stuff like that. Um, and of course, we can always share this this um, PDF guide with the seven steps to prop, to to self publishing a profitable books a um, profitable book. Um, so basically, step one is to inventory your knowledge and experiences, right? And not just for the obvious reason, right? Because we think, oh, of course, right? I want to list all my skills and all my experiences, all my professional degrees and stuff like that. But those are the obvious reasons. But more importantly is that Oftentimes when we list our experiences, we think more narrowly as in like, oh, I have an expertise in finance um, or I have an MBA or whatever. Um, but doing an inventory is not just about professional degrees, right? Or even skills or experiences, right? Experiences meaning like, oh, I developed a new program uh, for my department, right? That's Those are definitely great experiences that we should put down. Those are all good, but I'm talking about taking inventory of Including personal experiences and successes, like for example, um, I ran a marathon right i 'm not talking about me, but like if you had experience and you to say you you I ran a marathon or you lost forty pounds, or you were caring for aging parents, right, which is something that I do that 's something that oftentimes we don 't consider to be. Expertise, having expertise in why, because we just kind of went through the process and we bumbled along and we figured it out, right? Whether you were running a marathon, whether you lost weight, you you did trial and error, you tried a bunch of things that didn't work, whether you're taking care of aging parents. And so um, we don't necessarily think of those things as skills and expertise that we can leverage into a book. And the idea and I think the best way to kind of explain it is, you know, I was I'm, I was coaching a, um, a woman and she was she also was a, um, caring for aging parents. And she's like, but I don't feel like I'm an expert in this area. And I always tell her that the greatest teachers, <laughs> not always, but. Oftentimes, the greatest teachers are the ones who are not too far ahead of you, meaning that, for example, if you want to learn how to play basketball, you're not going to ask, I don't know that Michael Jordan or LeBron James is the best person to ask to coach you. And oftentimes, it's because of this kind of expert blind spot, this idea that they know so much, they can't even relate to you, or they don't even, even the basic things for them is like, you're like, what, that's all new to me and so oftentimes like the best teachers are like your older siblings like when you were young right or the person that that's doing well in your class because they can explain it better than the teacher could because the teacher is at a level 10 and so that's what i'm talking about so so oftentimes when you have these whether it's academics or just regular lay people who are th- just thinking about topics i, I would say expand your inventory of skills to things that you've done or accomplished um, that might be considered valuable to others. So anyway, that's step one. Step two is like once you have this list, um, step two is the part that honestly, most academics, people in general overlook. And that's, that's this, it's finding, find out what resonates with your readers, right? What do they care about? And again, we can go into details in a little bit, but let me just kind of go through maybe the other steps. Step three is to map out your book, um, which is what a lot of us are fairly familiar with, because with our master's thesis, doctoral dissertations, you know, we're outlining our stuff before we actually write it, or at least I hope people are doing that. This is the part that I think academics are fairly comfortable with. But there is definitely a process for um, self-publishing a book because um, uh, how you approach outlining uh, your dissertation or your thesis is very different than how you might outline uh, a self-published book. But the idea of outlining, that's, that's step three. Step four is actually writing the book, right? And this depends on it depends in terms of length. It's very straightforward, but there are definitely systems about systems or habits that you have to create. And I'm sure you're you 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 you're totally on board with, with this, Chris. But just this idea of making sure that you have to create a routine or a habit, like whether it's writing every single day from this time to this time, or, you know, to this way you kind of get out of that, you don't rely on motivation to write. So that's, that's step four. Step five is editing and formatting, your manuscript to upload to wherever, to Amazon or whatever platform you use to sell your book. It's something that you obviously have to do on your own. The only thing I'll say about this is that here's where I think a lot of people go cheap. <laughs> meaning that like, hey, I know someone who can edit my book and just to save a little bit of money. And to that I'll say, um, try to find the absolute best quality edit- editor that you can. And honestly, you can find, f- there are many freelance editors that are out there who'll look at your book, meaning that they have a lot of experience looking at books and self-published books simply because uh, it'll kill you if your book is riddled with all kinds of errors. And even us academics, we we write all the time. Trust me, we have all kinds of errors. We we probably write very academies and stuff like that. And it's just not going to sell. So definitely get an an editor and a book cover designer and things like that. You don't want to design this stuff yourself. Even if you're great in Canva, (laughs) using Canva to, to kind of design your cover, like unless you have a background in design and stuff like hire someone who has expertise in um, developing because there's actually a difference between a designer and a book designer uh, because book designers you, you very much have to think about how does your book look as a thumbnail right because that's the way people see books on Amazon when you search for topics all they see are tiny thumbnails does your book stand out like these are some of the things that I talk about in my in my program um, that people never think about. They're like, this is a pretty book. You know what? No one's going to see it when it's in a list of 20 different books that's listed on the search results. So anyway, what was that step? step that's step five. Um, and step six is basically planning um, out your marketing, right? This is the, the, the part where you have to think about what do you want to call your book, your title. This, you, know, you have to determine your price. You have to determine, you have to write out your book description and your keywords and, and categories. All of those, I would say, are hugely important. If you do not get those things right, you could write a great book, uh, but if you overlook these factors, no one will even know your books exist because you put it in the wrong book category or whatever, or they are not going to buy it because of the way it's presented, right? Just like like the book cover example that I was talking about before all about marketing. And then finally, there's uh, step seven. Step seven is uploading the book, which sounds simple, um, but there are details to think about, like what platforms do you want to use? Do you want to, some people don't want to do it on Amazon, even though Amazon is the place to do it, to be honest. Um, like, do you want to, um, do you need ISBN numbers? Um, um, you need to proofread the galleys or the the proofs. Uh, so there are many things um, to consider in this step seven. But uh, anyway, so those are the seven steps in a, in a nutshell.
0: Well, there we go. That was like a short masterclass on, uh, on the seven <laughs> steps to- There it is. <laughs> write a book, go off, write your book. There it is. No, that's it. I mean, listen to this podcast episode, inventory your knowledge once you're done and start writing. <laughs> you should be good to go. I, I say that in jest, but it's actually really helpful to have that spelled out. And it's really important, even have some of those considerations of what might seem to be easy and seem to be you know, maybe something's quick to do, and then maybe it comes out to be harder. But coming into sort of the, the the latter half of this episode, I really want to dig into two different areas, because I think, you know, developing the manuscript, we, as academics, you know, we're experienced writing. If you're blogging at the same time, um, I the reason I wrote my thesis as quick as I did, and, and it still took me probably two months to, to write it, or well, maybe even three months, but I had already written 150,000 words online by the time you know i don't that many blog posts to to uh to write that many words so i was already used to writing every day and and could slot that in um so like there's there's a habit part there there's there's formatting there's design work um that's all important considerations but the two parts i want to kind of dig into a little bit more is is one on the audience finding how to determine what resonates with your audience out of all the ideas you have i think that's probably the the crux of you know if you Think of from good to great. Well, maybe you have a gr- a good book, but you have a great book. But it's actually something that's helpful for your audience, and then want to dive into the marketing and kind of close the 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 episode off. So, um, on this first piece, you mentioned you have this inventory of knowledge and ideas and experience, both your technical background, your your education, your skill set, that sort of stuff, but also your your personal inventory, the stories you have, the the life experiences you have. In the step two, though, what do we, you know, how do we take that and then Married up with finding something that's actually useful for the audience that you're serving.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, so first off, um, I appreciate you you know kind of saying that the seven steps is useful because I I found in in my research that that kind of the number one reason why people don't self publish. There's there's several reasons, but one of the top reasons I would say is just that they lack clarity. It's as simple as that. They lack clarity about what should I do first? What should I do second? What should I do third and fourth? And so having a seven-step guide is a very helpful tool. So that's that. But to kind of get into the crux of your question about, you know, not just the research phase, but really getting into how do you kind of get your book to resonate with the audience? Um, So I guess I can talk a little bit about positioning, right, which is a very marketing kind of term, right? It's and it's actually something I don't talk about in the seven step PDF guide. Um, But so I'll I'll kind of brush a little bit on that. And then, you know, um, I could definitely go into that in my program. But um, this is, you know, positioning is 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 part marketing. Um, But in this case, it's at the early stages of book development, right? We tend to think of marketing as something we do after we create the product, which is, of course, definitely important. But before all that, we have to position our book a certain way if you want it to sell and succeed. And because most of us have have a book in mind, and then we plan and write it out, right? Just kind of like the way we do our dissertation, right? We kind of have the idea. We know what our research says. We have uh, our dissertation in mind or a thesis in mind, and we basically just need to plan it and write it out. But if you want a book that sells, that's profitable, which is really what I'm trying to emphasize is that anyone can put together a self-published book. That's not the point. You want one that either sells, that's profitable, or that can serve as the cornerstone for your business, which is what I did with my first book. Then you have to think about the audience, right? In academia, like I said, it's not necessary. It's not necessary because we just research and publish the results, regardless of how interesting the topic is. And that's exactly what I did, right? Um, but with self publishing, it starts with the audience. So let's just let's just kind of like go real concrete, right? Let's just say you have a book about cooking, just a general book about cooking. The question is like, why do customers buy your book rather than the tons of other books on cooking, right? It's because of positioning or more specifically how readers perceive your book. That's what positioning is about. Do they see the book as for amateur home cooks, right? Who want something fast and easy or do they see it as a book for serious cooks who entertain guests regularly, right? Because if I'm a serious cook, I'm not gonna buy a book uh, for, that I perceive is going to be for amateurs. So, that's a real different thing. So, in other words, you have to have a distinctive angle that separates you from your competition. That's that's what we call the competitive advantage or um, the value proposition in marketing, value unique value proposition. So, let me give you an, kind of another example using my book, right? My book's Teaching College. It had When I first started writing the book, I found out it had a ton of competition. Right there are so many books out there that compares teach. You know there are so many books out there that that tell you how to teach, which is what my book's about. But mine is probably (laughs) the only one that compares teaching to marketing and selling. Right, that was my distinctive angle. And so even if readers don't know much about marketing, I get that. Everyone knows what advertising is. Everyone has an idea about what selling is, regardless of what their perception is, right? They've all had experiences with advertising. They all know what it means to kind of sell something, which is of course, part of marketing. And by broadening that topic of teaching beyond the field of education and into the business realm, I think I made the topic much more meaningful to readers, right, so, because here's the thing, like no other book about teaching, to my knowledge at least, does this, right? Most of them are positioned squarely in the education and academic niche, which is fine, right? But I'm convinced that that's part of the reason why my book resonates with readers, right? You don't have to know education theory. And so, you know, if you're you're interested in publishing your own book, you have to think about positioning, right? The way you want others to see your book. So I would say to, to listeners, if you're interested, ask yourself, what makes it different? What makes your topic different and what makes it better than other books? What is your competitive advantage? If you can articulate that in a sentence, my book explores teaching from a marketing angle, from a selling angle, which is very critical if you want your students to be engaged, to be motivated, to quote unquote, buy into your knowledge, buy into your expertise, buy into the topic that you're teaching. This book is for you. And so there are a lot of people that are thinking, oh, okay, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Of course, I have readers who disagree with that. Oh, you know, teaching is not about selling. You know, that's a whole other topic. But generally speaking, it resonates with people. And so you have to, you know, I think just, like I said, most writers just write the book they want to write rather than a book that resonates with readers. You know, they say stuff like, "Uh, what I'm writing about, trust me, it's an important topic to that i say okay i agree you have probably a very important topic but how is it different or better than your competitors why will a reader pick your your particular book that's what marketers are thinking about all day every day separating yourself in fact that is there's a thing in marketing which 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 we say which is often which is basically that it's better to be different Not necessarily better because better is all about is very subjective. Why is why is Avis better than Hertz? You know, you know what I mean. Like, why is Coke better than Pepsi? You can you can do an ad all about why you're better, but it's very subjective. But being different is fairly objective. Like, if you have a very different thing that nobody else is talking about, that's fairly distinctive. Um, And so, anyway, so what I'll do right now is that I can give maybe a couple of recommendations just in terms of how to either research your book or position yourself a little bit better, if that's cool. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So number one is choose a topic that other people have written about. That's probably number one. Because there's a lot of academics out there who want to write about whatever it is that their discipline is on. So if their interest is in you know medieval literature that's where their expertise is the question of course is has anyone written about this topic if no one has, else has written about it either and you you know you succeed in writing about this topic that no one else has written about you're either a genius who's discovered some untapped market or some blue ocean or more likely there is little demand or interest in your topic which means it's not going to sell that's the bottom line. And an easy way to kind of check this out is do a simple Google search or Amazon search, right? There should either be like literally, uh, Chris, what do, you, what do you write about?
0: Dust explosions.
1: Type like, like when you get a chance. And, and I ask people, whoever it is that I'm advising like type that into Google, type that into.
0: I I do. My platforms come up. (laughs) (laughs) You are the person.
1: There it is. Right. And do the same thing. And not just on Google. Of course, you want to do it on Google. You also want to do the same thing on Amazon. And so my point is that there should be either books on this topic or websites devoted to this topic as in more than just a few and, 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 even better, um, written by many other different you know, people and perspectives and things of that nature. Basically, the idea is the bigger the market, um, the, big, the more you see that's out in Google and on, on Amazon, as in more than a page, like two pages, three pages, like there are 20 results. You, pop, uh, uh, you, you type in a search result on Amazon and 20 books pop up. You type up the same thing on Google and usually around 10 or so results come up. And if you see more than a page worth, then maybe there's something, right? But at the same time, too much competition means that you'll be a small fish in a big, big ocean kind of thing. So you have to kind of think about that, right? So if, if you want to go into weight loss.
0: So we have an idea around the competition yeah. part yeah. there. Um, I do want to, so if you do Google dust explosions, I actually come up on the second page, but we do own- ah. Uh. Most long tail keywords around um, industrial safety for fire and explosion protection for dust explosions that's what a thousand blog posts will get you
1: <laughs> gotcha and and have you done it also for for on Amazon as well with the uh, dust explosion and and uh safety and things like that
0: well, we don't have the content there, but I do use that as a research tool so if I want to know content to write for my site, look up the the published books on Amazon, look at the table of contents and there's your list of topics to write about on your blog post that have been vetted.
1: Ah, So like the table of contents and things like that. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I totally get you.
0: Okay. So we have an idea around positioning. I can summarize, I think into three, three, three senses. So you need to be unique. Yeah. It has to align with your brand, your values, what you stand for. And what I mean there is if your brand's serious, don't write a silly book. <laughs> 100%. Or if your brand's silly, don't write a serious book because they're not they're, there's not going to be a he's in there. Um, the third one is that that's all fine and dandy, but it's got to actually resonate with someone. Yeah. So it's got to be unique. It's got to fit with you and it has to resonate with someone. You have those three things together, then you have a something to fit in with an audience that can facilitate change in your life, facilitate change in, in your business. I think that's a great kind of positioning Methodology.
1: And you know what? Maybe I'll throw in one other thing too. I just kind of thought of this, but like, so even if you have search results in Google and on Amazon, and keep in mind it has to be in your particular interest, right? Because if you type in like memory, right? Like how to improve memory or whatever, like you'll get like search results about like disk drives and, and you know what I mean? Like computer memory. So, you know what I mean? Like, so it has to be related, but so if you find that there are tons of books or a lot of books or a good portion of books in your category or search results, the other thing to kind of check out is to see whether or not there are sponsored ads on that page by other authors. And of course on Google, whether or not there are other ads Related to your topic on that page. And it's critical because it tells you that are there books, chances are if there are ads on that page, then some author out there has found it worthwhile to do marketing to target keywords to the specific search topic that you're looking for, which means that they're making enough money to justify ad spending. Does that make sense? <laughs> so um, that's really kind of another way to kind of validate whether or not there is demand on your topic.
0: So yeah, we have a lot of good ideas there on finding and validating an audience. Um, we really talked through quite a bit of things this episode. So we talked about your background, your views on like like I said, you almost wrote the self-tender community sales page there. So I'll, I'll probably get the transcript of this episode for myself and pull out some <laughs> uh, some phraseology there. That was really good. Go for it. Some of the first steps we talked about um, self-publishing in general, uh, the the seven-step framework that you have, and again, you can get that uh, at uh, Norman's website. That's NormanEng.org, and you download that there. And we talked about we really dove sort of deep into how to find your audience. I know you and I were talking in the background before, and you mentioned that you're doing this sort of beta launch of a group coaching program for people that are self-publishing their books. Uh, I think the link for that is normanang.org/slash sp or hyphen apply. Um, we'll put that in the show notes as well. I think in there you, you talked about that probably going in more of the marketing side. To close with this episode, do you have just two or three kind of tips on the we we talked about some things already, like um, giving a chapter away and using your book as a, a business card, using, you know, a, a whole book as a, a lead magnet for your audience. But you have sort of two or three marketing tips that people might find in that beta course that you're you're launching that you can give away to, to close off this episode?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would probably say that just from a marketing standpoint, as, at least on the back end, after you've written the book, probably the one of the most important things to address is uh, getting book reviews. And I think a lot of especially if you're publishing tradition with traditional publishers, you don't think about that much. You think like, oh, maybe my book publisher would take care of that, and they don't, they don't. And so reviews, book reviews on like Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or whatever, those are the lifeblood for authors, meaning that, let's think about it, right? If you're searching for a book, Aside from the book title, the price, and the book description, which obviously have to resonate with you, but the next thing you're looking at after that are the reviews. Is it a five-star review, four-star review, or whatever? So what I actually do is that I – here's the thing. You have to go out of your way to get people to leave reviews on Amazon. Most of us don't think that way. We're like, oh, I want to get it organically, and if people love it, they'll leave reviews. But, Chris, when was the last time you wrote a review I don't know, you might write reviews all the time, but, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, out of every 10 books I, I I read, maybe one of them I'll write a review for if I feel strongly about it. But so you have to, so I guess my point is this, is that you have to go out of your way and get comfortable with um, getting people to leave reviews. So what I actually do is that I'll create a spreadsheet of people that I want to review my book, you know, kind of create a, a little launch team, so to speak, you know, comprised of colleagues, influencers, and I guess friends or whatever. But generally speaking, I I, I I tell people, don't get your best friend or your significant other or your sibling to to write your review only because Amazon has algorithms that are fairly sophisticated that weed this stuff out. Um, and um, and uh, it could lead to all kind of negative things like penalizing your account and stuff like that. So, Try to get as many people who are in the industry um, to, to, to leave reviews for your books and stuff like that. And I talk about that in the program. But I would say that that's probably one of the most important things, because if you don't have a, a certain threshold for reviews, because most of us, we, if we don't uh, make a concerted effort, we'll get about three reviews for our book, five reviews. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll get ten. But most don 't go beyond that, and I would say the threshold for getting Amazon to start taking notice that your book is doing well is like around 20 ish that's not a that 's not a scientific uh, answer or a number or whatever, but if you get like twenty or more, the more the better amazon 's algorithms start to notice that that your book, people are writing stuff about your book and then they will start promoting it too, which means that they'll send an email out to their millions of people who are interested in your particular area to let them know, hey, there's a brand new book that is starting to get noticed and it's teaching college or whatever that is. Um, And then that's where it'll kind of multiply, it'll kind of have that snowball effect. Um, So like I said, reviews are hugely, hugely
0: important. No, I like it. Any, got a, one more tip we can leave off with?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess generally speaking, you, you do have to do all of the, um, the, 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 the usual stuff like, you know, go on podcasts, write a blog about your book and, and all that stuff. But maybe I can just talk a little bit about kind of the lead magnet. And like, you'll notice, like if you go on my book on my, on Amazon and, and type in my book teaching college, you'll notice that in the first couple of pages that there is that you can download my audio book for free, the audio book version of Teaching College for free. And often people, it's like a little surprise, right? People go in there and you know how it says peek inside or look inside the the book to kind of see if that's, you'll get like a preview of the first five, 10 pages of it. And so a lot of people be like, wow, this is great. You can download the whole book. I don't even need to buy the book. That's done on purpose. (laughs) You know, that is done on purpose because it is a lead magnet, which means that when people... Um, download your free audiobook. Obviously, they have to put in their email address, so I know where to send that. You know where to send the, the free audiobook to. They become part of my email subscriber list, which of course is the start of building customer um, relationships and things like that. If you, you know you know what I mean. So um, that is kind of another small tip. Um, I, that's a fairly advanced tip, actually, um, that not a lot of people get. Um, and so that's a great way to um, build uh, lead generation and stuff like that. Another great
0: marketing tip. Yeah, and I'll restate it just so people understand. Like, Maybe they're thinking, that sounds like a good idea, but I don't particularly see how it how it works. So if you go into teaching college, and, and maybe this is a good exercise if you're on your computer right now, go look up uh, Norman's book, Teaching College, and click on Look Inside. You see the cover. You see a social proof, a testimonial page. And then the next page is Download the Audiobook Free. Uh, so that's, that's an actual page in the book but on that page, you can go to Norman's website to to get your copy of the free book. And I think that's why he's talking about up there. You can capture the email because you brought them back to your own platform, just so people can get an idea of how that process works. Um, I think that's a, a really great tip. Uh, something that's really interesting.
1: It is because the, the truth is is that um, you one of the few things that online businesses or or, or or entrepreneurs one of the few things that that they own is their email list. So I would say building a list of whatever you want to call it, customers, email subscribers, your tribe, uh, whatever that is, building that list is probably the most valuable asset you can have because you'll find that and your customers, there's a whole 80-20 deal going on, meaning 20% will you know, will comprise 80% of your purchases and all that kind of stuff. But they are your warm audience. They are your cheerleaders. They are the everything. If you have a new book that comes out, guess who you're going to go to? You're going to go to your tribes. If you build up a list of 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 people in your email list, guess who you go to when you have a new course that comes out. You know what I mean? So building that list is the probably the most important asset that you hold as an entrepreneur, as an online business person, you know, what I mean, so so that's why I I want to have that um, that freebie that lead generation tool at the beginning of my book.
0: And I'll just add a an asterisk here: um, back up your list often because you don't own it until you get the raw file. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely, hundred percent. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I use a separate I use a separate email service provider or whatever to do that and and then yes I I would agree with you back
0: it up (laughs) get a hard copy just uh, in case the provider goes down or you know you get a glitch or whatever Um, but (laughs) the point's well the point's well taken is that um, you really want to be working off the platforms that you own so your own website your own email list um, and pulling things in from these other areas like Amazon and social media and the, the goal should be to get people back into your space goal number one should be have your own space so if you're only working off Instagram you don't have a website yet you know, the rules can kind of change in a day and change things around for you and your business. So well, we talked about that on the podcast before, we won't uh, belabor that point. Um, but I do want to just kind of at the end of this episode to say thank you for coming on. It's been really interesting to hear about your your experiences self-publishing books and the kind of stuff they you have at your website at normanang.org. If somebody wants to learn more about you and your work, um, what you're up to, where's the best place for them to to go to learn more?
1: Yeah, so so just kind of like you said, my my main website, you'll kind of get a better feel. Just the normaning dot uh, org website, you'll kind of get a better feel of how I've I've kind of broken down my business. So that's kind of where, um, if you know, your listeners, if they're interested in 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 self publishing, they could just go to normaning forward slash self dash or hyphen publishing, self-publishing, and they can get the the, the seven-step guide there. That is a great place to start just to kind of walk you through the overall process of how to um, write a a self-published book. Um, But if you are serious about Really trying to build a business off of a self-published book. In other words, writing it and thinking ahead, um, which is what I did. I was like, I don't just want to write the book; I want it to be the cornerstone of a potential business. You know, then I've kind of created this group coaching program, and it's like it's for serious candidates. Like if you really are thinking about, like I've been thinking about publishing a book, but I just don't have a publisher. um, You can publish it on your own. Um, so I have this program. It's just kind of a small group coaching program that's that I'll open up to to the audience for Grad Blogger. And so, um, as Chris mentioned before, uh, the, the the link is org forward slash sp dash apply, right? Self-publishing sp dash apply. And again, it's in beta, like I'm just, um, but the fact that it's in beta means, of course, you will get extra attention um, and a chance to really take advantage of the of, of my experiences. Because like, I know some of these groups of self-publishing, um, these coaching programs, they charge like thousands for this kind of stuff because it's hitting so big now. Um, but I'm definitely willing. I just for your audience, like I just want to get it out there, get my knowledge out there and just see success stories. So I'll definitely throw all kinds of attention uh, to your listeners. <laughs> so that's really that's really it.
0: Yeah, I'll encourage you to go check out that out. If uh, you're interested in the self-publishing world, definitely go check out normanang.org and his website and what he's doing there. And maybe some point in the future, we can get you back on and talk about the other aspects of your business have going on as well, Norman. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be thrilled to come back. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, I look forward to talking again soon.
1: Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me here.
0: Okay, talk soon, Norman. All right. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Dr. Norman Ang. We talked talking about how to self-publish a profitable book. We talked about his background and experience in higher education, his academic background, some of the reasons why he decided to get started online, to get started to build an online business. And those were really around controlling his own destiny, around the fact that most PhDs and, and other higher degrees aren't going to get a tenure-track position. He had these kind of you know terms like choose-yourself. Um, a lot of sort of visualization about what you can do in your life and online business can be the vehicle for that. Um, and I hope that we're making that clear with the Grab Blogger podcast. And that is really the whole reason that we started the, the community at selftenure.com as well to help academics get started in entrepreneurship, get started online business to grow their business so that they can direct their life and have the the means and the ability and the time freedom to choose these sort of things that Norman was talking about. So I really enjoyed going through that discussion and then getting into his first steps, starting an online business, what uh, you know, what he did early days with content creation and blogging. We talked a lot around self-publishing, and we mentioned this. This might not be for everyone. You know, it is it can be hard, it can be difficult, but with the help of people like Norman, and you know what we're doing here at Grab Blogger, we can get you down those tracks a little bit easier. Uh, we talked about the seven-step framework that Norman's developed for self-publishing a profitable book. Step one: inventory of your knowledge. Step two, find what resonates with their audience. Step three, map out your book. Step four, write your book. Step five, edit and format the manuscript. Step six, look at the different elements of your book. So now you have a manuscript you need to cover, you know, visual elements, uh, breakout stories, whatever the, the book design is going into. And then step seven, launching and, and uploading your book into whatever platform it's getting sold across. And we took a really deep dive into this topic of finding your audience. Norman mentioned a couple of key things. Have a unique position. Um, you want that unique position to align with your brand, align with your other businesses that you have outside of this book. And it also has to resonate and align with what the audience wants and needs. So there's a lot of research you can do there. Then we get some really great tips on the marketing of your book, everything from really simple tips like giving a chapter away on your website through to more complex tips like having lead capture directly baked into your book on the first couple pages. So that when somebody looks at the, you know, look inside your book on Amazon, you're getting them back to your website there. So as Norman mentioned, he shares a lot more of these sort of tips on on his website at normaneng.org. He has the cheat sheet that I downloaded, which was the really genesis of this episode, the seven steps to self-publishing a profitable book in six months. He's also looking at launching his beta group coaching program uh, for folks that are more interested in this area. So I encourage you to check those out as well. As always, as I mentioned at the outset, we have the transcripts for this episode. It was jam-packed. This may be one of our highest um, word count episodes. So, even more reason to, to go download the transcripts, Control F, and find the specific thing that you're looking for, the specific tip. And then you can apply that in your business today. So, so, as always, thank you for coming on and listening to the Grab Blogger podcast. I um, look forward to continue to bring you amazing guests, do amazing solo shows, and helping you build your business online as an academic so you can change the world and change your life as well. <music>